when we recite the aspects of the teaching, the core teachings and the morning chanting, we go through the, the list of the five khandhas, the body, rupa, material form, vedana, feeling, sensation, sanya, perception, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, mental formations, sankhara. This includes thoughts, memories, moods, ideas, intentions, imagination, a whole range of mental activity. Concentrated states, scattered states of mind. This is all sankhara. And vijnana, cognition, discriminative consciousness, the mind's capacity to discern, distinguish this from that, to know. This is the simple division of body and mind, nama and rupa. The Buddha used this as one of the, the frameworks for us to, to contemplate our experience of the world which is the only world we can know. The world we know is the world of our experience. All the colors and measurements and sounds and forms have to be perceived, known through the medium, through the agency of our own mind. So, the world that we meet is our mind's representation of the world. So the five khandhas, these five groups, is just a convenient way of slicing up the, the pie of, of our being. One slice is the rupa, the body pie, material form, and the other four slices are the mental world, Sensation, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. And the Buddha's encouragement in the teachings is to change the way in which those aspects of body and mind are related to. As long as they are taken personally, the mind influenced and absorbed into self-view, seeing things in terms of I and me and mine. And there's me here and the world out there. I am this body. I am this personality. I am these feelings. I'm good. I'm bad. I'm healthy. I'm sick. I'm old. I'm young. I'm a woman, I'm a man, I'm a monastic, I'm a layperson. I'm in here, the world is out there. The world is good, the world is bad, the world is interesting, the world is irritating, 
This is the way that we create our world, create ourselves, carry them around. In ordinary human life, this is completely natural, unremarkable. Everybody is doing this. But the Buddha's teaching points us to a different way of holding that array of experiences. Rather than thinking in terms of me here and the world out there, my mind inside and the world, the body, out there. He encourages, uh, encourages us to reframe the vision of things, to hold this in a different way, but to notice instead, in this moment, there's the experience of the body, experience of sensation, feeling, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. It all arises here, it's known here, in the sphere of our own awareness. It arises here, it's known here, it fades away right here. As the Buddha said, that whereby one is a knower of the world, a perceiver of the world and a conceiver of the world, that is called the world in this Dhamma and discipline. That whereby one is a perceiver of the world and a conceiver of the world, that is called the world. In this way, we recognize the world arises moment by moment, is known moment by moment, dissolves moment by moment. Whether we call it inside and call it me, my mind, my thoughts, my body, we call it out there. Ajahn Amaro's voice, the sunlight of the morning, it's all known right here. The first of all, recognizing that the world, what we know of the world, arises, forms and dissolves here within our awareness, moment by moment. And then the Buddha gives us these tools with which to explore and examine what that world is, what we are. And to again, change the, the attitude, change the perspective. So we recite these qualities, reflecting on anicca, dukkha, anatta, on change, instability, uncertainty, on unsatisfactoriness, and on not-self, anicca, dukkha, anatta. These are tools which we can use to examine and explore the field of our experience, explore the world. 
Yesterday we could hear the, the sound of the, the truck. Today there's no truck, there's no lorry making a, a noise. The sound arose, passed away. Each of my words, I say, a word? There's silence, there's a sound, and silence again. Perceptions change. Feelings change. The beginning of a sitting, the body might be quite comfortable. After half an hour or an hour has gone by, the body can be very uncomfortable. Feelings change. We can come in feeling quite inspired and interested, alert. Then the mind picks up a particular thought, gets caught up in a worry, becomes entangled, ensnared in that pattern of thinking. And then the mind is filled with suffering, stress, fear. Sankaras change. Mental formations change. And moment by moment, vinyana, consciousness, discriminative consciousness, is incessantly changing. Each object distinguished from its background, from other objects. Coming and going all the time. And when we talk about it like this, sitting still, our eyes closed, in a contemplative format, it can be quite clear. We hear the words and go, of course, yes. Feelings change, moods change, the body changes. Yep, got that. But then there's this real problem, but I have got I have got an injury in my leg. I have got this real real issue I have to worry about. I'm responsible for it. I've got this plan. Yeah, Sankara's arise and pass away, but I've got plans. And then those get inflated, take on the characteristic of, of substantiality. They become me and mine, my illness, my problem, my plans. This is where the teaching on anatta is so helpful. It points directly at those presumptions. I am like this. I am the body, I am the personality, I am this story collection of successes and failures, delights and crises, pleasant and painful feelings. This is me. This is my life, my story, with names, dates, events. 
we take it all very personally. The illness in this body, the shape of the body, the age of the body, the gender of the body, our nationality, our language. So the teaching on anatta shifts the perspective, helps it to be seen as not personal. Our body is an aspect of the natural world. You didn't invent respiration. Breathing was being done by humans long before you were born. You're not in charge of your heartbeat. You didn't invent digestion. The way the body dissolves food. This is not personal. It's just the way biology functions. Similarly, you didn't invent anger. You didn't invent fear or jealousy. You didn't invent samadhi. The states of clarity and absorption. They're not personal creations. They're not me and mine. So when we say sanya anatta, sankara anatta, it's easy to pronounce the words. Perceptions are not self. Mental formations are not self. Six or seven words. Very simple. But what a world, what an enormous amount of accumulated stuff is gathered in that. Perceptions are not self. Feelings are not self. Mental formations are not self. The body is not self. Now we use the teaching on anatta then to explore all those areas where the mind says, yeah, but this is me, it is mine, I am this body. I am a man, I am a woman. I am English or German or Thai, French, Hungarian, whatever it might be. But I have got plans, I have got problems, I really have a problem, I've got a big problem. It really exists, Ajahn. It's a real one. So how do your problems exist in the minds of the pigeons sitting on the roof and crewing in the morning? What do you know of the pigeon politics? Different groups, families, individuals in the pigeon population, the magpies. Who's in charge? Who's the senior? Who's the junior? Who's sick? Who's healthy? We don't know. But our own world, uh, we take very seriously. It's all very personal, but the pigeon politics community relations amongst the magpies, who knows?
What's that got to do with anything? But me and the dynamics with my family or with the monks, with the nuns, that's real. That's a real problem, Ajahn. But why are the dynamics of you and your family any more real than the dynamics of the pigeons or the rest of the other pigeons that live around here? These are all just patterns of nature arising, passing away. Things come together and they're sweet. We climb up the ladders. Things get difficult and fall apart. We slide down the snakes. Things go well, things go badly. Or things just roll along in an average way. These are patterns of nature. Though when we apply the teachings on Anicca and Dukkha Anatta, we're learning to see our own life as, as a, an aspect of the natural order. We stop taking my life personally. Stop being so fascinated in our own story. Then there's a peacefulness, a clarity, an ease with which we relate to our own body, our personality, things that come together, things that fall apart, gain and loss, praise and criticism, happiness, unhappiness, sickness and health. There's a balanced, easeful, open attitude towards it. There's caring, just as we care for the natural world, but it's not personal. There's not that sting of I and me and mine, that tension of self-view coloring the, the way that we relate to our mind and the world, our body. In this way the heart is trained to stop relishing the five khandhas. As the Buddha said, Sabe Sankara Dukkha, all conditioned things are unsatisfactory. So if we relish, if we buy into and delight in conditioned things, we're delighting in suffering. One who relishes the five khandhas relishes dukkha, I say. As the Buddha put it many times. So it's a relaxation of attitude, letting go of self-view. That's the purpose of these reflections on anicca and dukkha anatta. And when self-view is loosened, is dropped, in that moment there's brightness, clarity, peacefulness. Let the heart enjoy it. Freedom from self-view. Freedom from limitation. Let the heart truly know that. Attend to that. Be guided by that. <laughs>